Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm Pierre Morrow. Good morning, and、um, you do that、uh, very well, Giselle. People would think that you were just getting ready and right on cue here for the show, but anyway, we'll just let that. Pierre、uh, is referring、slide. to seconds before the start of the show. He said, "Wakey, wakey, dead weight, we're on air." So. Thank you, Pierre. That's all right. Just so right. the listeners Com- know, comradely, you、uh, do bully you... me off air. That's all right. We'll let listeners and、uh, um, judge be the judge of that. But of course.、Uh... We're on Radio Three CR. Thanks to Solidarity Breakfast for another interesting show and that、uh, very relaxing music. And that was probably why、uh, Giselle was just、uh, floating away. Was the other side by the Orb Weavers. And on today's program, we've got the usual roundup of、uh, labour issues around the region. And then in the second half of the program, we'll be talking to one of our regular guests,、uh, Joe Dar, who's a media commentator. And an academic about、uh, issues about West Asia. So we're looking at、uh, the <coughs> rising tensions between the Saudi Arabia and the US in one hand and Iran on the other. And I do have to say that、uh, the interview was done a few days ago, and it was actually before the latest、uh, um, demos and protests in Iraq. So that's why we're not actually、uh, get mentioned in there. But.、Um, That's all for now, and of course,、uh, Giselle,、um, who's APC brought to you every week by? That's right. Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on the web or the w's dot a a w l dot org dot a u.、Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms. And also, we should probably announce that we are、uh, scheduling to kick off with our regular mini news, which we know lots of listeners have been waiting for.、Um, Our first、uh, broadcast will be the twenty seventh of October. So at the end of this month, you can expect to get the roundup of news from around the region in your inboxes if you're subscribed. Now that you've announced it, Giselle, the pressure is on. The pressure was always on. And just、um, like to turn the heat up. Fine, fine.、Um, let's hope that the frog doesn't、uh, escape the pot. Anyway, let's go to that、uh, labour news updates. So, news from around the region. We're going to start in Iraq this week. Working class demonstrations shook the streets of the capital Baghdad and other Iraqi cities in protest at the lack of jobs, widespread poverty, and corruption. The protests in Baghdad and other cities were met with a harsh response from the police and military. At least sixty people have been killed, with many hundreds injured or arrested. Indefinite curfews have now been put into place in major Iraqi cities, according to official figures. In the last fifteen years, almost four hundred and fifty billion dollars of public funds 
vanished due to corruption. In addition, youth unemployment in Iraq is running at around 25%, according to the World Bank, in a in a country where the vast majority of the population is under 30. Uh, quite desperate um, economic circumstances they're giving rise to a political movement. That's right. And um, and if $450 billion are the official statistics of how much money has been lost, one wonders what is the real figure. Um, we go next door to Iran, where the last 12 months, uh, as we have brought you many, many times, have seen a wave of increasing repression, arrests and inhumane prison sentences to workers, um, teachers, retirees, um, women, students, writers, journalists, and also environmental activists in Iran. Now, the the main demands of all these protests can be summarised in five main points. One is the payment of unpaid wages and benefits, improvement in labour conditions, opposing the ongoing privatisation of state-owned companies, which in many cases leads to shutting down of these companies and the expulsion of all the workers. Four, the release of imprisoned workers, political prisoners, prisoners of conscience and civil rights activists. And lastly, the right to form independent organisations, including trade unions. Iranian workers and their supporters are calling for international working class solidarity to support the struggles of their fellow working class members, condemn the anti-labor, anti-democratic policy of the Islamic Republic of Iran. This um, this demand against privatization is coming up a lot in some of these economic movement or these movements which are a response to economic crisis right across the world. Um, I think there needs to be a word of caution with it um, because the automatic response is to nationalise industry, which is not necessarily um, a global workers' movement demand. Well, that's right. And also, even if you nationalise them, as the Iraqi example has shown, um, doesn't mean that the money is going to go in the pockets of the workers. Moving now to India, last week over 200 striking workers from the Mother Sun Automotive Technologies and Engineering Company, which is abbreviated to MATE, uh, which is based in Sriparumbadur. Apologies for that pronunciation. I try to do well with that. And industri- so this, uh, this um, company is based in an industrial hub 40 kilometres from Chennai. Um, so 200 striking workers here were arrested by the police as they staged a protest rally in front of the office of the Deputy Labor Commissioner. About 500 permanent workers from MATE have been on strike since last August to demand recognition of their newly formed trade union, which is the Chengai Ana Mavata Yana Nayaga Thorjilar Sangam. That is the name of the union. The workers established the union so as to fight for better wages against harsh working conditions and substandard food at the plant's canteen. In addition to the fight, the the fight is for secure employment. Um, as while the company employs around two thousand workers, about a thousand of them are on short term contracts, while another five hundred are classified as trainees. So really, only though, as we said, those five hundred permanent workers, the majority of that um, plant is in precarious labour of some kind, which again is very common all around the world, unfortunately. Now, um, a good news story is for, for, for a change. We go to South Korea, where this week air, aircraft cleaners at Korean Air have ended a 53-day strike 
after winning key concessions from the outsourced employer EK Manpower. The cleaners, represented by the Korean Public Service and Transport Workers Union, the KPTU, went on strike after negotiations hit a, a wall. In response, the company sued 12 union activists for a combined total of over 900,000 US dollars. And um, these activists then had their bank accounts frozen by the government. The um, workers, nevertheless, um, continued their strike and were able to win um, pay above the minimum wage, improve working conditions, the removal of the manager responsible for the breakdown in industrial relations, and the lawsuit against these 12 union activists will be withdrawn. The only matter that remains for workers is to ensure that Korean Air is held responsible for labour standards in its supply chain. So, well done, comrades. In Hong Kong this week, SNAP announcement by the Hong Kong government of the banning of the use of face masks sparked an immediate response with thousands of office workers marching down the streets of Hong Kong in protest. This new law was actually able to be enacted via the Emergency Regulations Ordinance. Interestingly, that Emergency Regulation Ordinance was set up by the UK colonial government in January 1922 when it faced a major seamen strike. So for all of those people in Hong Kong calling for a return to... um, UK administration or calling for UN intervention or calling for US intervention, note that um, these repressive laws were enacted under UK colonial government ordinances. In that year, 1922, Chinese seamen, weighed down by the increased cost of living and stagnant wages, rose up against a racist pay scale system. In the pay system, foreign seamen, at the time mostly Filipinos and Lascars, who were sailors from India or East Asia, were paid significantly more than the Chinese, while white seamen would be paid several times more than any of the foreign workers. It's very interesting how sometimes the, the, the past sort of catches up to the future. Um, and how really the, there's a continuation with the, with the past. And um, we go, I think we've got uh, two more um, items. We go to Indonesia now, where another um, a series of pr- protests that we mentioned last week are continuing. The protests that began last week, and um, that, as I said, we reported on Indonesia, have continued for a second week. Authorities have responded with tear gas and water cannons, while in the south of the island of Sulawesi, Two protesters were killed by police. The main issues remain the parliament's intention to weaken Indonesia's respected anti-corruption commission to introduce a raft of illiberal changes to national criminal code and the government's continued failure to prevent massive fires across Sumatra and Kalimantan. And in some ways, uh, similar to many other countries, the population profile of Indonesia is also very young, and it is actually young people who are out on the streets. And here in Australia, Sunglass Hut last week became the latest big employer to have been found guilty of systematically underpaying its workers. A court found that the company had not paid $2.3 million in penalty rates to staff in a period spanning nearly six years. They join a long list of celebrity and top-end restaurants that have been found to have underpaid their staff to the tune of many millions. This week, an investigation into the big subway chain of fast food found that 17 of the 22 subway franchises investigated had underpaid employees. 167 employees had missed out on more than 80,000 in wages, and the affected workers are mainly young or come from migrant backgrounds. And just specifically, so not looking at the retail side, 
But the food industry side, um, we know that these big celebrity chefs have now called on the government to uh, to issue them with an amnesty so that they can get their books in order, um, but presumably not to repay any of those wages. That's right. And they, um, and one item that often comes up in a discussion is if the whole matter is so confusing to them, isn't it a, a weird coincidence that everyone gets underpaid but no one gets overpaid? But anyway, we know but, the answer and actually, to that. And so, sorry, Sally McManus said something, tweeted something uh, that I thought was very good on mm. this, which is that workers don't get an amnesty from rent and bills and expenses. So why should the companies get an amnesty on paying that? That's right. That's right. So it's um, just on 12 past uh, 12. It's 12 past 9 o'clock here on Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Link. That is the um, end of the news roundup. We'll go to a committee announcement and then we'll be back with the interview with Joe Dar and talking about West Asia. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3CR.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. It's just on um, 13 past 9 o'clock here on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio, and you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. As uh, mentioned at the start, there's been uh, increasing tensions in West Asia between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Of course, Saudi Arabia is backed by the US. So um, we caught up with uh, Joe Dar, who's a media commentator and activist and a um, academic on these issues focusing on West Asia and um, to ask him about um, some of the issues facing the region. As I mentioned before, this uh, interview was conducted um, uh, last week and so there's actually no reference to the very fresh and very major protests um, in uh, Iraq. This latest crisis in the region was sparked by an alleged Houthi strike on the Saudi oil fields. This has been disputed, so who else do you think could have done such a strike and why? Uh, The possibilities of the various actors point towards a main actor that is linked or is uh, most probably Iran in its willingness to pressure uh, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia when it comes to its war in Yemen. Uh, but as you said, the authors of this bombing are still much disputed. It's very hard to say exactly who would have been able to launch these attacks. So different uh, versions have been heard, you know, attacks have been launched from Iraq. So this could be militias linked to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, some have said from Iran that would that most probably not be the case, but most probably is actors that want to pressure Saudi Arabia and its uh, hostile policies towards Iran and its allies in the region. 
And of course, uh, we've mentioned Yemen, so we'll we'll just go and, and look at Yemen briefly, because the civil war now in Yemen has been ongoing for many years and is continuing seeing new developments. And obviously, just recently, the Southern Traditional Council has become a big player. Do you see any quick resolution to this conflict, or will it just uh, remain mired in low-level conflict for years to come? Well, the key issue, first of all, to point out is that the massive uh, and destructive and adverse intervention of Saudi Arabia in, Ye- in Yemen has only sparked uh, more violence and uh, instability in the region in Yemen, uh, especially when it comes to humanitarian issues. You have one f- worst cases of humanitarian catastrophe ongoing in Yemen for the past uh, four years now, uh, since the beginning of the Saudi-led massive intervention in Yemen since March 2015. So this is the first point I think we should mention. Obviously, after there are different actors, as you mentioned, in the Yemeni civil war with one side, the Houthis, that increasingly took some support uh, from Iran as attacks from Saudi Arabia was increasing against it. But you do have also uh, the forces supported on the ground, even though very... Uh, week of the Hadi government. Uh, Prime Minister Hadi is very much uh, despised within Yemen. He's currently living in Saudi Arabia and supported by the Saudi Kingdom, but has low influence on the ground. And finally, as you mentioned, the Southern Transitional Council that is historically linked to the former uh, South of Yemen and that is today supported by uh, the UAE. When we talk about the the war in in Yemen, as you mentioned, the military interventions by Saudi Arabia and the UAE were were key moments. And obviously they they were both looking for a quick victory and to get some strategic advantage. Now that this is not eventuated, have you got any information about what is happening in their own countries in terms of their uh, continued involvement and input of resources, both materially and, and human power. Is it starting to create political problems for their own governments? You can see the, um, the behavior of the UAE that after securing its interest in South Yemen, and especially when it comes to the Socatra Island, which is a, a key island in the Ormuz Detroit, to secure basically the passing of oil and different products through, through these areas, the UAE has announced a downgrading of its uh, armed forces in south of Yemen and also in a way to calm the tensions with Iran. As increased tensions with Iran, including in uh, Yemen, could co- create a lot of stab- instability Sorry, within the UAE that has presented itself you know, as a safe hub for business, welcoming foreigners, etc. So this is why you had new meetings between UAE officials and Iranian officials during the summer to calm the tensions. Despite the fact that Saudi Arabia and the U.S. are pursuing you know, a hostile policy towards Iran, even though they would not like to reach you know, a state of war, this is, this is similar when it comes to Iran. But for Saudi Arabia, Yemen is a, is a key issue, is on the top of its agenda because it's considered as in its uh, backyard, and this has been the case for decades, while it's not as important when it comes to Iran, but definitely the the Yemeni issue 
has direct consequences on these different countries that have all intervened in Yemen for the past few years. Talking about the country in the regions, let's now focus on Saudi Arabia, where, as we've mentioned, there's talk about of going to war against Iran, whether or not uh, it can do it, it's another question. But is its political posturing in part tactical to divert pressures from, uh, as we mentioned, its failures to win in Yemen, or the ongoing issue of the murder of journalist Khashoggi, or even internal social pressures that uh, every so often we hear about within Saudi Arabia? Well, definitely the war in Yemen serves a different objective. First of all, it was a way to mark the beginning of a new era when MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, came to power, launching this war, thinking this war will not last too long. This has not been the case, and we can speak about a failure of Saudi's war on Yemen uh, and to challenge the, the Houthis that considered as, you know, proxies of Iran. MBS and Saudi Arabia since then has implemented a policy, you know, very much hostile towards Iran, even more hostile than before 2015, a more aggressive policy that we've witnessed in different, you know, Gulf monarchies, especially Saudi Arabia and the UAE since the beginning of the the uprisings in the region, intervening militarily or politically, economically, much more than before in the region. Um, it's also a way for Saudi Arabia to, to mark a form of nationalism that characterized MBS's reign, if we want, since then, since 2015, uh, an extreme form of nationalism through this war in Yemen and opposing Iran, I would say. Let's look at, at Iran because also it has a very aggressive stance, very aggressive foreign policies and intervention in uh, other other wars. But obviously, as a Iranian government, it's actually facing continuing unrest at, at home. And as we've seen, there's been lots of labour and social protest occurring for months, if, if not years. Do you think that the Iranian government itself is looking to to have a very aggressive military confrontation to try and stave off internal opposition and increase nationalistic feelings? I think just as Saudi Arabia that will not launch a war against Iran, especially not its, on its own, and this is why it's still discussing with its allies what kind of answer to the bombing of its oil centers in the south, and especially the US doesn't want to launch a war against Iran. Iran quite similarly, doesn't, doesn't, does not want a direct war with neighboring countries being notably uh, Saudi Arabia. It's, it's uh, if you want, its first enemy. But uh, Iran's policy has been to be able to counter any kind of threats through its proxies in the region. So you, you do have, for example, as we mentioned, it supports for the Houthis in Yemen, but you do have the various Islamic fundamentalist uh, Shia militias in Iraq or Hezbollah in Lebanon and to some extent we could in include as well even though it's a bit more it's a bit different Hamas in Palestine. So this if a direct attack on Iran would occur we could expect an answer from these different actors. So this is the strength of Iran regarding you know the US and Saudi Arabia. So its threat is real. Uh, but at the same time, as I said, Iran is not, does not want to, to launch a war. It's kind of a, 
form of negotiations against the hostility sanctions of U.S. and its allies in the region, especially Saudi Arabia. When it comes to social discontent in in Iran, is as you said, is uh, is continuous. You do have strikes that are ongoing. In the past few months, uh, you had campaigns of arrest against Iranian trade unionists uh, targeting them. Uh, more than 50 trade unionists, I think, have been arrested and imprisoned. So this is also a, a continuous threat for the Islamic Republic of Iran. In addition to other a kind of social protest when it comes to feminist issues, ecological issues, and others. And Iran is indeed using the nationalist appeal when being threatened by outside powers, indeed. But it's not always working, just as a, like in Saudi Arabia, because contradictions within these societies are mounting on both sides. As a final question, talking about contradictions and looking at slightly wider in, in the region, we're now seeing that uh, the protests in Sudan are continuing. There's a huge teacher strike in Jordan. And in Egypt, very interesting, there's been a very new protest against the dictator Sisi, very much against repression, poverty, etc., etc., which really show that the... Uh, dynamics of the Arab Spring that started in 2011 are, are continuing. Will this be just a, a small surge or do you see that there is going to be a resurgence of this uh, labour and human rights movements challenging these governments because the original issues of corruption, exploitation, repression, poverty have never really gone away? Indeed, as you say, it, all the key reasons for the eruptions of these popular uprisings in the end of 2010 and 2011 are still present and even, I would say, more acute. So what we can say is that we hope these different protest movements turned into new kind of larger social and political protest movements challenging you know, the ruling classes of their, of their states and the, the regimes uh, as a whole. But again, as, uh, let's be careful. As we can see, the repression in Egypt is very harsh. We have nearly 2,000 arrests since the la- latest protests. But definitely a, a wall of fear has, has fallen in, uh, in Egypt, for example, in the reign of Sisi. So this, these are the most important nearly protest movements uh, since he came to power after the military coup d'etat in 2013, and you do have also social protests uh, that are continuous. In in Sudan, the situation uh, is very mixed with key elements that have been achieved, but at the same time, everything is not guaranteed as the key military actors are still ruling per se, even though you do have a mix of a a transitional government. So, Everything is still open and the, the reaction is also possible. So the need is to a continuous self-organization from below with democratic and social be- issues being uh, combined to challenge the whole uh, military regime allied to actually to Islamic fundamentalist forces in Sudan. So, and in Jordan, again, it has been in a couple of last few years, you had seen upsurge of labor protests challenging austerity measures by the Jordanian kingdom. So everything that is occurring is very interesting, but without, you know, mass organization 
enabling to, to combine political and democratic issues, challenging the ruling systems and not only protests, it will be very difficult to see a radical change. Even though I believe that you will continue to see these kinds of protests in the following years, hopefully without being uh, repressed too harshly or being repressed completely. So all we say, I, I think we can say is send our international solidarity, con- condemn the collaborations of Western governments with these regimes, notably when it comes to uh, delivering of weapons, arms, and being silenced about you know human rights uh, violation, denounce the whole imperialist system, while also, in the case I'm based in Europe, uh, denouncing, you know, the, the, the European fortress, uh, closing its borders to, to migrants and refugees. So there's a lot that can be done and nothing, the, the story hasn't finished, I would say. It's a long revolutionary process and many things can still happen. Thank you for that, uh, Joe, and uh, we'll certainly uh, look forward to talking in the future and, and uh, see how these develop, and we'll certainly uh, offer our solidarity to all these movements. So thank you very much again. Thank you. No more no more hey, this is Nick from Pinar. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. And you were just listening to an interview that we did a few days ago with Joe Da about uh, the ongoing conflicts and tensions in West Asia. And um, that comes to the end of the program, Giselle, and I think we're actually going to uh, end on time, which is um, fantastic. Isn't You're it? supposed to end on time every week, Pierre, just FYI. But, of course, listeners, thank you for tuning in to Asia Pacific Currents. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region from 9 o'clock. Uh, but, of course... Uh, coming up next is Palestine Remembered and that's all from me, Giselle Hanna and Pierre Morrow. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.